The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I'm a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. This just so happens to be our 66th episode of Superhero Therapy. And all I can think about when I hear or think of the number 66 is Order 66 from Star Wars. The time has come. Execute Order 66. The movie we're going to be discussing today is in a galaxy that's not far, far away. It's actually very close to our hearts. We're thrilled to dedicate this episode to the beautifully heartwarming Disney cartoon, Encanto. How beautiful was this movie? Oh my gosh. I am absolutely enamored by it. I think it was on point. Every single song, every single character, I thought it was multi-layered multi-dimensional and i can't wait to see it like a million more times yeah it's just beautiful the colors are beautiful everything as always we'd like to warn our audience that if you have not seen this movie yet we will be discussing major spoilers so beware this movie focuses on a magical family named the magicals they are led by their abuela who is the matriarch of the whole family Many years ago, Abuela, her husband Pedro, and their three newborn babies were forcibly displaced from their home in Colombia. They were driven out by marauders or bandits or soldiers. It's kind of unclear. For our purposes, we'll just call them baddies. As they're fleeing with other refugees, the baddies catch up to them and Pedro sacrifices himself for his family and the other refugees. When retelling this story, Abuela says that in their darkest moment, they were given a miracle. A candle she had became a magical flame that transformed the land around them into a sanctuary for all of them to live. This is their encanto. The candle also blessed the magical family with special powers called gifts that they used to help their community. When I think of the candle and its magical flames, I can't help but think about Dumbledore's quote, Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only remembers to turn on the light. Can we start out by talking about the symbolism of the candle holding the miracle? Gosh, so powerful. And again, this movie is so multi-layered. Watching it in terms of seeing the experiences of refugees, you know, I see this candle as representing hope, right? Hope for survivorship, hope for preservation of family and family values and being able to survive in a new land. And I think for so many refugees, that is how they see the particular place that they are able to escape to. They see it as a miracle, as as something really magical. 
And I think that's a, such a common experience for most people fleeing violence. And I'm, again, so grateful to Disney for making this movie in terms of really reminding viewers about some of the hardships that refugees are facing. Yeah, it's kind of like there's light at the end of the tunnel or there's always light that will light up the darkness. Yeah, there's hope. Yeah, there's hope. A cool addition to this world is that the magical house is actually alive and has a name. Its name is Casita. I find it's interesting that I feel this compassion and care about Casita, even though it's really just a house. It can't really talk, but it does have a personality. Can you help me understand my connection to this sentient house? Casita, which in translation from Spanish means little house, right? It is a character here. I think that we see how much the Casita cares about the family, about preservation of those family values, and about each of the family members. But I think that for many people, especially for trauma survivors, especially for refugees, a home is a family member because a home becomes a place where we find safety, where we find new experiences where we really find ourselves and I think that a home is just as much of a family member as each of the people living in it. Yeah it's just cool how it kind of knows what they want or it's a part of them and it's it's just beautiful. It's kind of a bi-directional relationship right where the characters interact with the home and the home interacts back and I think for those of us that have this kind of a meaningful relationship with our home, not just our house, but our home, right, where we live, we might very much relate to that. You know, as a refugee myself, for the longest time, I felt that way about the home that my family and I lived in. And I think that for many people who have survived trauma when they're finally in a safe place, it really does become almost like a new family member for them. Yeah. Over the past couple of years, I've, I've become such a homebody anyway. I want to just come back home and be home. I feel safe. I feel, I don't know. I just want to be home more than I want to be out. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> so the movie starts out with the lead character, Mirabelle, singing about all her family members and their powers. At the end of the song, it is revealed that she has no powers herself. She was the only magical that didn't get a gift. What's wonderful about Mirabelle is gift or no gift, she's all heart. She's compassion and she's positivity. She just illuminates the world around her with her warmth. As we find out later on, Mirabelle is very hurt and disappointed to essentially be a family outcast. She struggles to find her place in her family and their village. There is a heartbreaking scene where she says she's fine, totally fine, and then immediately says she's not fine and has no gifts to give anyone and she's still waiting for her miracle. Don't be upset or mad at all. Don't feel regret or sad at all. Hey, I'm still a part of the family, Madrigal, and I'm fine, I am totally fine. We'll stand on the side as you shine. I'm not fine. I'm not fine. I can't move the mountains. I can't make flowers bloom. I can't take another night up in my room. 
What are your thoughts about Mirabelle's struggle with belonging and what's hidden behind her witty and upbeat attitude? Each and every one of us is born with this pre-wired need for love and belonging. This is a human need for survival, right? In addition to food and safety, we need some kind of companionship, which could be from family members or friends. And for Mirabelle, for her to feel a part of the family, it was initially implied that she needed to have a gift. And in not having the traditional kind of gift, I think she was made to feel like an outcast with everybody not talking about her not having a gift. And, and with her being almost like the pariah of the family. So I think she took it upon herself to be a cheerful person in trying to avoid her pain and avoid talking about it. The truth is she had arguably the greatest gift of them all, right? She had the gift of compassion and the gift of magic, the gift of bringing people together. That's a gift. And I mm -hmm. think that maybe her family members weren't ready to see that. I think this is a common experience for so many of us watching this where we think that there needs to be some kind of gift that we bring to the family, such as having a specific career, for example, or having a, some kind of a talent. But very often it is the person who is kind that will be the most magical person in the entire family. Yeah, everyone is a gift just in themselves. Absolutely. So Mirabel has a vision of a crack destroying Casita and the candle. And the candle holds all the power, supposedly. Her sister, Luisa, is like Hulk strong. She literally and metaphorically holds the weight of the whole village and her family on her shoulders. It is revealed that she is under a lot of pressure. And like Mirabel, there's so much more going on under the surface. Why would anything be wrong? I'm totally fine. Magic's fine. Luisa's fine. I'm totally not nervous. Your eyes. Doing the thing. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. Okay. I move mountains. I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. Of course. I mean, hey, where are you going? I don't ask how hard the work is. Got a rough and destructible surface. Diamonds and platinum. I find them. I flatten them. I take what I'm handed. I break what's demanded. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three ring circus. Under the surface, was Hercules ever like, yo, I don't want to fight Cerberus? Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can be of service. A floor crack, the straw in the stack. There's so much pressure in this family to be perfect, 
strong, or gifted. It appears that in Luisa's case, being strong is overvalued and makes her more vulnerable to pressures and stress. Can you discuss Luisa and this burden she's under? I think Luisa represents, I think, majority of us worldwide having the pressure to quote-unquote either be perfect at school or at home to help different people, to carry everyone's burdens, to support other people often without taking care of ourselves uh, with perfectionism. And I think that's how we crack, right? I see so many people who put unrealistic expectations on themselves or have unrealistic expectations put on them to always have the perfect grades in school, for example, to show up a certain way for their family and friends. But we don't talk about what that does to a person. We don't talk about a sense of recharge and self-care and togetherness. And seeing Luisa's song, which, by the way, was my favorite song in the entire Mm -hmm. show, um, is a song I definitely resonated with. And I think that it's something we don't talk about enough in terms of the pressure, the burnout, the expected perfectionism and the perfectionism we put on ourselves and what that can do to us, not just physically, but also emotionally. Yeah, you could just see how tough this family is, mostly Abuela, but (laughs) this family is on perfectionism and helping and keeping the people safe. But I think that's where we get lost, right? We get so focused on perfectionism that we lose the bigger picture. Right, most definitely. Mirabel's other sister, Isabella, is described as a beautiful and perfect princess. Her gift is being able to make flowers and control plants. She's kind of like Poison Ivy from Batman. She's being set up to marry a man who she really doesn't want to marry, and she's doing it all for the family. On the outside, Mirabel sees Isabella's life as perfect and like a dream. But for Isabella, her life is not what she wants, and she is very unhappy. Isa, I feel like you're upset. And you know what cures being upset? A warm embrace. Get out. Everything was perfect. Abuela was happy. The family was happy. You want to be a better sister? Apologize for ruining my life. Go on. Apologize. I am sorry. That your life is so great. Ow. Wait! Fine! I apologize! Ugh. I wasn't trying to ruin your life! Ugh. Some of us have bigger problems, you selfish, <gasps> entitled princess! Selfish? I've been stuck being perfect my whole entire life. And literally, the only thing you have ever done for me is mess things up! Nothing is messed up! You can still marry that big dumb honk! I never wanted to marry him! I was doing it for the family! Can we talk about Isabella and the pressure some families put on their children to be perfect? I guess it's the same kind of question with a different character. Yes, and there are so many families that put pressure on their children to be a certain way or look a certain way. For example, parents who enter their children in beauty pageants or, you know, people that believe that the only quality they provide is how they look. 
and therefore they might understandably be down on themselves if they don't look a certain way or if they're struggling with social comparison or self-image which can lead to eating disorders right I think that when we see certain influencers, we might think their life is quote unquote perfect, not realizing the amount of unhealthy, really traumatic self-shame, perfectionism, and sometimes even self-bullying that people experience, not to mention, you know, external bullying as well. And so I think that everyone everyone in the world, whatever their experiences are, everyone is under pressure. And in people not talking about it, that's how cracks happen. And Maribel was the only one that was powerful enough to bring it to light, to bring it to light figuratively and literally in terms of allowing people to see what was happening and in terms of relighting the candle. Yeah. In the case of Isabella, parents and people of authority sometimes don't even ask what these individuals want themselves. They just go on and this is what will do the best for our family or whatever. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you want. I could see that pain in her. And that's possibly why she treats Mirabelle so bad too, you know? Mm-hmm. Another family outcast is Mirabelle's uncle Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> well... We have to talk about Bruno. (laughs) He's a seer or a prophet. Mm -hmm. He ends up running away and exiles himself because he was blamed for having visions and telling people their futures. Not many appreciate hearing that their goldfish is going to die or that they're going to get a huge gut or become bald or any of the other things that are happening (laughs) to the villagers. The villagers even say your fate is sealed when your prophecy is read by Bruno. It's a hard power to deal with. What makes it more difficult is Bruno being shunned by his community and his family for this gift and for essentially being himself. Saying his name out loud is like saying Voldemort in Harry Potter. You don't say it. There's even that fun song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. bad for Bruno. He's even living inside the walls of Casita because he loves his family and still wants to feel like he's part of it. Can we actually talk about Bruno and what he's going through? Yes, absolutely. And Bruno is actually one of my favorite characters other than Luisa. I was absolutely heartbroken seeing that he created kind of an extension of the family table so that he could still have family dinners with Mm -hmm. his family. It was so sad for me. So (laughs) heartbreaking because he still wants to be a part of it. And 
I think it's such a common experience in families where there's that one family member that they don't talk about either because that person suffers from mental illness or maybe is a part of the LGBTQIA community. Maybe that person comes out about their gender identity, but that person is somehow different and the family somehow thinks that that person is I don't know, affecting how the family is perceived. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, really, because in excluding that family member, the family actually looks worse, right? They, they look so harsh and unforgiving. I think that in not accepting Bruno, they're not accepting themselves. And I think that Mirabel was the only one that had the courage to really see him and accept him. Yeah, my, my gift wasn't helping the family, but, uh, but I love my family, you know? I just don't know how to, I just don't know how to. Well, anyway, I, I think you should go because um, I don't really have a good reason, but if I did, you'd be like, I should go because that's a good reason. Why was I in your vision? Tio Bruno. I just, wanted to make the family proud of me. Just once. But if I should stop, if, if I'm hurting my family, just tell me. I can't tell you. Because I don't know. I had this vision the night that you didn't get your gift. Abuela worried about the magic, so... She begged me to look into the future, see what it meant. And I saw the magic in danger. Our house breaking. And then, then, then I saw you. But the vision was different. It, it would change. And, th and there was no one answer, no clear fate. Like your future was undecided. But I knew how it was going to look. I knew what everyone would think because I'm Bruno and everyone always assumes the worst, so... So... You... left. I'm still kind of baffled at the way that everyone treated him. Mm -hmm. Because I think ultimately what he did is he made everyone see the truth about themselves. It wasn't just about the future. It was about the present. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many family members especially for Abuela, they were not willing to see that there were cracks in the system, that things weren't perfect. And when we're so stuck on perfectionism, we try to eradicate any potential threats to that quote-unquote perfect system. And I think that's where fear happens, and I think that's where prejudice happens. And I was so glad to see the depiction of how unsafe and how hurtful this kind of system is and so grateful to see the family then welcoming Bruno back with Mirabel's help who again had the biggest gift of them all the gift of bringing the family together the gift of compassion mm -hmm. and it's just so heartbreaking the way other people view somebody or their gifts or miracles or whatever you want to call them causes them to have so much shame about themselves and who they are and it does really reflect the LGBTQIA community where people make them feel like being themselves is bad. I don't understand it. 
I don't understand why people shun somebody for being authentic or true to themselves. Because again, I think there's this flawed, flawed is really an understatement, but this horrific belief that, you know, if people don't fit into some kind of a box that they're not good or not right somehow. But the truth is, some people don't belong in boxes. Some people are unicorns and unicorns don't belong in boxes, right? Unicorns yeah. belong on rainbows because they're magical. Just my heart goes out to anybody who's ever been made to feel like they don't belong. Yes. Individuality is magical. Just always remember that. And I think it's about a balance, right? Individuality and togetherness and belonging with People who are in the cohort, people who are in the belonging community, welcoming everyone's individual differences. Love it. Bruno's character has other layers that manifest when Mirabelle meets him. Some of his tendencies, like knocking on wood three times and partaking in other quirky rituals, indicate that he might be dealing with OCD. Bye. What? No! Hold on! Wait! Wait! Why did you take the vision? What does it mean? Is it why you came back or? You were never supposed to see that vision. No one was. But a little salt. Sugar? Sana sana. Wait. Have you been in here patching the cracks? Oh, that? No, 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 no. I'm too scared to go near those things. All the patching's done by Hernando. Who is Hernando? I'm Hernando, and I'm scared of nothing. What are your thoughts on Bruno's behaviors, and what do you believe might have instigated them? I think it's very likely. He does seem to have those tendencies. I would have to do a full intake with him, of course, to examine it further. But whether it's OCD, whether it's magical thinking, whether it's kind of customs of his culture would be difficult to assess just from the film. But it does seem like he has to have certain rituals, which some might see as compulsions. And I think for some people who've been through trauma, such as the family trauma that he was born into, right, the intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma that he was born into, and being in trouble with his family, seeing some of the horror that he has seen in his visions, can make people feel responsible for the well-being of other people that can create this type of almost magical thinking that OCD can be for some people in terms of if I don't do this kind of a ritual, then terrible things will happen to people that I love. And a lot of people with OCD engage in compulsion specifically to protect other people. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how Bruno was trying to protect Mirabelle because of the vision he mm -hmm. saw, even though who knows what the vision really entailed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very interesting. But unfortunately, the family's treatment and behaviors toward Bruno and Mirabelle seem to suggest that those who are different are pushed aside and not welcome to be representatives of the family. To accept them would be accepting that imperfections exist in the magical family. At Antonio's gift ceremony, and Antonio is Mirabelle's youngest cousin, Mirabelle is persuaded to hide in the shadows so she doesn't ruin the ceremony. Bruno is essentially exiled because his gift is misunderstood. It would appear that these storylines, specifically Bruno's, suggest the idea that neurodivergence is more of a problem than a gift. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think if we look at it in terms of either neurodivergence or 
divergence from heteronormativity. So, for example, looking at the LGBTQIA spectrum, I think that it's very representative of how a lot of people feel, right? Where they might not be very understanding of family members who are either LGBTQIA or are neurodivergent. For example, people who are on the autism spectrum. It's really heartbreaking because, again, people are not recognizing these differences as gifts, are not accepting other people as valid just because they're not the same as other individuals, right? I think there's this global assumption that different means bad instead of different meaning unique and magical. And I think that's exactly how we need to start approaching it. Right? We need to look at differences as unique as the gift right? in terms of really trying to understand other people instead of trying to push other people into a box or a square. Right. I think the whole idea of being normal is kind of boring anyway. <laughs> I don't even think there's such a thing. I think yeah. that some people pretend to be quote unquote normal, but I don't know what that means. Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. There's really no wonder why their world is falling down around them. They're all under so much pressure. This all leads back to the trauma Abuela experienced when she lost her home and her husband. How do traumatic experiences have a psychological impact on families for generations like this movie demonstrates? I'm so grateful that this movie focused on intergenerational trauma because that's something that refugees, migrants from different countries are facing that a lot of people don't understand. What we know is that there are structural DNA changes, not only in trauma survivors, but in their offspring, in their children and grandchildren. So for example, in grandchildren of survivors of the Holocaust, we see kind of a predisposition for PTSD and certain other disorders and we know that these changes can affect people. They can make people more prone to anxiety, for example, right? Abuela, of course, went through a horrific, horrific experience of witnessing this violence, losing her husband. But what we also see in trauma survivors sometimes is this need for control and safety or control becoming a form of safety, right? And so some trauma survivors might think that if they do everything right, then they can prevent bad things from happening. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Abuela. She thinks that in doing everything perfectly, she is maintaining the magic that's keeping everyone alive. And I think she thinks that so long as she keeps doing it, her family will be okay. But she's unwilling to see that now these practices are not helping, but are actually harming the family. Yeah, she's under a lot of pressure herself. Mm -hmm. And it has been said that the villain of this movie is Abuela. Mm -hmm. However, she is a victim of her own trauma and fears. She's a victim herself. Mm -hmm. What can be said about Abuela and the impact of intergenerational trauma on herself? I think that was a really good way of putting it. I don't actually see her as a villain. I think the only villains were the perpetrators of violence in the Colombia. Baddies. Right. <laughs> But I think Abuela is not so much of a villain as somebody who was not understanding about the impact of her own actions on her family. Once it became clear to her what was happening, she changed course, 
you know, I don't think she's a villain. I think she's somebody who's so traumatized that she's trying to keep the family together the best way she knows how. She's so close to it that she doesn't see how her actions are harming others. Yeah, I honestly never saw her as a villain. I saw her as her own victim under a lot of pressure herself. Mm -hmm. I wanted to end this podcast with one last question that I think is very important, and it's how can movies like this boost our own psychological perceptions and skills? Well, I think, first of all, movies like this can allow us to be more understanding of what refugees and migrants are going through, right? That they're trying to survive. They're trying to protect their family. As a refugee myself, that was my family's experience. We fled violence. We're seeing millions of refugees right now leaving Ukraine in order to escape violence. And I can tell you from my own experience how often people have told me to, quote unquote, go back to your country or that I'm somehow doing something wrong in living in the United States or somehow taking from other people. I don't know. But I think that movies like this can allow us to be more compassionate and understanding to experiences of refugees, refugees from all countries, refugees of all colors, right? Refugees who are really just there to help their family survive and also hopefully to open a conversation about intergenerational trauma that occurs in all people. There's a brilliant book by an author called Resma Menachem and the book is called My Grandmother's Hands and it is a book about intergenerational trauma in all people. The author focuses on individuals who are black or Caucasian and he talks about the importance for us to acknowledge our own intergenerational trauma regardless of where we came from, where we were born, or for how many generations we've lived there because he says every single person has intergenerational trauma. And until we acknowledge it and feel it in our body and notice when it comes up, that's when we start healing. That's when we start to recover we all have a choice. We can all notice this intergenerational trauma and make a choice that it stops with us. Mm -hmm. Well, the success of this movie suggests to me anyway that a lot of people, whether they're refugees or not, made connections with these characters and the whole trials and tribulations that refugees go through. If you can see some kind of characters where you connect with and you can see the value of what they're going through and why they're refugees and why they're trying to escape persecution or whatever, you have more compassion for them. And I think more people need to see these kind of things and connect with them to really have that compassion and love to welcome people. And I think that's a perfect way to end this episode of Superhero Therapy. Thank you so much for joining us again. My name is Dustin McGinnis, and you can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and take care. <laughs>